0: part two chapter one section two of some do not by ford maddox ford this librivox recording is in the public domain read by peter dan part two chapter one section two Teachins had moved slightly as she had thrown the cutlets and most of the salad leaves had gone over his shoulder but one couched very green leaf was on his shoulder strap and the oil and vinegar from the plate Sylvia knew that she took too much of all condiments, had splashed from the reverse of his tunic to his green staff badges. She was glad that she had hit him as much as that. It meant that her marksmanship had not been quite rotten. She was glad, too, that she had missed him. She was also supremely indifferent. It had occurred to her to do it, and she had done it. Of that she was glad. She looked at herself for some time in the mirror of bluish depths. She pressed her immense bando with both hands onto her ears. She was all right. High-featured, alabaster complexion, but that was most of the mirror's doing. Beautiful, long, cool hands. What man's forehead wouldn't long for them? And that hair, what man wouldn't think of it unloosed on white shoulders? Well, Teachins wouldn't. Or perhaps he did. She hoped he did, curse him, for he never saw that sight. Obviously sometimes at night, with a little whisky taken, he must want to. She rang the bell, and bade Hello Central sweep the plateful from the carpet. Hello Central, tall and dark, looking with wide-open eyes, motionlessly, at nothing. Sylvia went along the bookshelves, pausing over a book back, Vitae hominum notis, in gilt, irregular capitals, pressed deep into the old leather. At the first long window, she supported herself by the blind cord. She looked out and back into the room. There's that veiled woman, she said, going into eleven. It's two o'clock, of course. She looked at her husband's back, hard, the clumsy, khaki back that was getting round-shouldered now. Hard. She wasn't going to miss a motion or a stiffening. I found out who it is, she said, and who she goes to. I got it out of the porter. She waited, then she added, "'It's the woman you travelled down "'from Bishop's Auckland with, "'on the day war was declared.' "'Teachins turned solidly round in his chair. "'She knew he would do that out of stiff politeness, "'so it meant nothing. "'His face was whitish in the pale light, "'but it was always whitish "'since he had come back from France "'and passed his day in a tin hut among dust heaps. "'He said, so you saw me, "'but that too was mere politeness.' She said, of course, the whole crowd of us from Claudine saw you. It was old Campion who said she was a Mrs... I've forgotten the name. Teachin said, I imagine he would know her. I saw him looking closely in from the corridor. She said, is she your mistress or only McMaster's, or the mistress of both of you? It would be like you to have a mistress in common. She's got a mad husband, hasn't she? A clergyman. Teachin said, she hasn't. Sylvia checked suddenly in her next question and Teachins, who in these discussions never manoeuvred for position, said She has been Mrs McMaster over six months. Sylvia said She married him then the day after her husband's death. She drew a long breath and added I don't care. She's been coming here every Friday for three years. I tell you I shall expose her unless that little beast pays you tomorrow the money he owes you. God knows you need it she said then hurriedly, for she didn't know how Teechan's might take that proposition. Mrs. Wannop rang up this morning to know who was, oh, the evil genius of the Congress of Vienna. Who, by the by, is Mrs. Wannop's secretary? She wants to see you this afternoon, about war babies. Teechan said Mrs. Wannup hasn't got a secretary. It's her daughter who does her ringing up. The girl, Sylvia said, you were so potty about it that horrible afternoon McMaster gave. Has she had a war baby by you? They all say she's your mistress. Teachin said, No, Miss Wannup isn't my mistress. Her mother has had a commission to write an article about war babies. I told her yesterday there weren't any war babies to speak of, and she's upset because she won't be able to make a sensational article. She wants to try and make me change my mind. Sylvia said, It was Miss Wannup at that beastly affair of your friend's. "'Sylvia asked, and I suppose the woman who received you "'was Mrs. What's-her-name, your other mistress? "'An unpleasant show. I don't think much of your taste. "'The one where all the horrible geniuses in London were. "'There was a man like a rabbit talked to me about how to write poetry.' "'That's no good as an identification of the party,' Teachin said. "'McMaster gives a party every Friday, not Saturday. "'He has for years. "'Mrs. McMaster goes there every Friday to act as hostess. "'She has for years.' Miss Wanop goes there every Friday after she has done work for her mother to support Mrs McMaster. She has for years, Sylvia mocked him. And you go there every Friday to crudle over Miss Wannup. Oh, Christopher, she adopted a mock, pathetic voice. I never did have much opinion of your taste, but not that. Don't let it be that. Put her back. She's too young for you. All the geniuses in London, Teachins continued equably, go to McMaster's every Friday. He has been trusted with the job of giving away royal literary bounty money. That's why they go. They go. That's why he was given his CB. I should not have thought they counted, Sylvia said. Of course they count, Teachins said. They write for the press. They can get anybody anything except themselves. Like you, Sylvia said. Exactly like you. There are a lot of bribed squits. Oh no, Tichin said, it isn't done obviously or discreditably. Don't believe that McMaster distributes 40 pounders yearly of bounty on condition that he gets advancement. He hasn't himself the least idea of how it works, except by his atmosphere. I never knew a beastlier atmosphere, Sylvia said. It reeked of rabbit's food. You're quite mistaken, Teachin said. That is the Russian leather of the backs of the specially bound presentation copies in the large bookcase. "'I don't know what you're talking about,' Sylvia said. "'What are presentation copies? "'I should have thought you'd had enough of the beastly Russian smells Kiev stunk of.' Teechan's considered for a moment. "'No, I don't remember it,' he said. "'Kiev?' "'Oh, it's where we were.' "'You put half your mother's money,' Sylvia said, "'into the government of Kiev, twelve and a half per cent, city tramways.' "'At that, Teechan certainly winced, a type of wincing that Sylvia hadn't wanted.' "'You're not fit to go out to-morrow,' she said. "'I shall write to Old Campion.' "'Mrs Dusherman,' Teachin said woodenly. "'Mrs McMaster, that is, also used to burn a little incense "'in the room before the parties. "'Those Chinese stinks, what do they call them?' "'Well, it doesn't matter,' he added that resignedly. "'Then he went on. "'Don't you make any mistake. "'Mrs McMaster is a very superior woman, "'enormously efficient, tremendously respected.' "'I shouldn't advise even you to come up against her "'now she's in the saddle,' Mrs. Teachin said. "'That sort of woman,' Teachin said. "'I don't say you will ever come up against her. "'Your spheres differ. "'But if you do, don't. "'I say it because you seem to have got your knife into her.' "'I don't like that sort of thing going on under my windows,' "'Sylvia said.' Teachin said. "'What sort of thing?' "'I was trying to tell you a little about Mrs. McMaster.' She's like the woman who was the mistress of the man who burned the other fellow's horrid book. I can't remember the names. Sylvia said quickly, don't try. In a slower tone, she added, I don't in the least want to know. Well, she was an Egeria teacher, said an inspiration to the distinguished Mrs McMaster is all that. The geniuses swarm round her, and with the really select ones she corresponds. She writes superior letters about the higher morality, usually. Very delicate in feeling. Scotch, naturally. When they go abroad, she sends them snatches of London literary happenings. Well done, mind you. And then, every now and then, she slips in something she wants McMaster to have, but with great delicacy. Say it's this CB. CB. She transfuses into the minds of genius one, two and three the idea of CB for McMaster. Genius number one lunches with the deputy sub-patronage secretary who looks after literary honours and lunches with geniuses to get the gossip. Why, Sylvia said, did you lend McMaster all that money? Sylvia asked. Mind you, Teachings continued his own speech, it's perfectly proper, that's the way patronage is distributed in this country. It's the way it should be. The only clean way, Mrs. Dusherman backs McMaster because he's a first-class fellow for his job. And she is an influence over the geniuses because she's a first-class person for hers. She represents the higher, nicer morality for really nice Scots. Before long, she will be getting tickets stopped from being sent to people for the academy soirees. She already does it for the Royal Bounty Dinners. A little later, when McMaster is knighted for bashing the French in the eye, she'll have a tiny share in Augusta assemblies. Those people have to ask somebody for advice. Well, one day you'll want to present some debutante and you won't get a ticket. Then I'm glad, Sylvia exclaimed, that I wrote to Brownie's uncle about the woman. I was a little sorry this morning because, from what Clorvina told me, you're in such a devil of a hole.' "'Who's Brownie's uncle?' Teachin asked. "'Lord, Lord, the banker. "'I know Brownie's uncle in his uncle's bank.' "'Port Sylvia said. "'I wish you wouldn't act forgetting people's names. "'You overdo it.' Teachin's face went a shade whiter. "'Port he said, "'is the chairman of the in-billeting committee, of course. "'And you wrote to him?' "'I'm sorry,' Sylvia said. "'I mean, I'm sorry I said that about your forgetting.' I wrote to him and said that, as a resident of the inn, I objected to your mistress. He knows the relationship, of course. Creeping in every Friday under a heavy veil, and creeping out every Saturday at four in the morning. Lord Port Scatho knows about my relationship, Teachins began. He saw her in your arms in the train, Sylvia said. It upset Brownie so much, he offered to shut down your overdraft, and return any cheques you had out, marked R.D., To please you, Teachens asked. Do bankers do that sort of thing? It's a new light on British society. I suppose bankers try to please their women friends like other men, Sylvia said. I told him very emphatically it wouldn't please me, but... She hesitated. I wouldn't give him a chance to get back on you. I don't want to interfere in your affairs, but Brownie doesn't like you. He wants you to divorce me and marry him, Teachens asked. "'How did you know?' Sylvia asked indifferently. "'I let him give me lunch now and then "'because it's convenient to have him manage my affairs, you being away. "'But of course he hates you for being in the army. "'All the men who aren't hate all the men that are. "'And of course when there's a woman between them, "'the men who aren't do all they can to do the others in. "'When they're bankers, they have a pretty good pull.' "'I suppose they have, Teachin said vaguely. "'Of course they would have.' Sylvia abandoned the blind cord on which she had been dragging with one hand. In order that light might fall on her face and give more impressiveness to her words, for in a minute or two, when she felt brave enough, she meant really to let him have her bad news, she drifted to the fireplace. He followed her round, turning on his chair to give her his face. She said, Look here, it's all the fault of this beastly war, isn't it? Can you deny it? I mean, that decent gentlemanly fellows like Brownie have turned into beastly squits. I suppose it is, Teachin said dully. Yes, certainly it is. You're quite right. It's the incidental degeneration of the heroic impulse. If the heroic impulse has too even a strain put on it, the incidental degeneration gets the upper hand. That accounts for the Brownies, all the Brownies, turning squits. "'Then why do you go on with it?' Sylvia said. "'God knows I would wangle you out if you'd back me in the least little way.' "'Teachin said, "'Thanks. I prefer to remain in it. How else am I to get a living?' "'You know, then,' Sylvia exclaimed almost shrilly. "'you know that they won't have you back in the office "'if they can find a way of getting you out.' "'Oh, they'll find that,' Teachin said. "'He continued his other speech. "'When we go to war with France,' he said dully.' and Sylvia knew he was only now formulating his settled opinion so as not to have his active brain to give to the discussion. He must be thinking hard of the Wannup girl, with her littleness, her tweed skirtishness, a provincial miniature of herself, Sylvia Teechan's. If she then had been miniature, provincial, but Teachin's words cut her as if she had been lashed with a dog-whip. We shall behave more creditably, he had said, because there will be less heroic impulses about it, "'We shall, half of us, be ashamed of ourselves, "'so there will be much less incidental degeneration.' "'Sylvia, who by that was listening to him, "'abandoned the consideration of Miss Wanup "'and the pretense that obsessed her of Teachin's talking to the girl "'against a background of books at McMaster's party. "'She exclaimed, "'Good God, what are you talking about?' Teachins went on, "'About our next war with France, "'where the natural enemies of the French,' We have to make our bread either by robbing them or making cat's paws of them. Sylvia said, we can't, we couldn't. We've got to, Teachin said, it's the condition of our existence. We're a practically bankrupt, overpopulated northern country. They're rich southerners with a falling population. Towards 1930, we shall have to do what Prussia did in 1914. Our conditions will be exactly those of Prussia, then. It's the... what's it called... "'But,' Sylvia cried out, "'you're a francomaniac. "'You're thought to be a French agent. "'That's what's bitching your career.' "'I am?' Teechens asked, uninterestedly. "'He added, yes, that probably would bitch my career.' "'He went on with a little more animation "'and a little more of his mind. "'And that will be a war worth seeing, "'none of their drunken rat-fighting for imbecile boodlers.' "'It would drive Mother mad,' Sylvia said. Oh, no, it wouldn't, and said. It will stimulate her if she is still alive. Our heroes won't be drunk with wine and lechery. Our squits won't stay at home and stab the heroes in the back. Our Minister for Water Closets won't keep two and a half million men in any base in order to get the votes of their women at a general election. That's been the first evil effect of giving women the vote. With the French holding Ireland and stretching in a solid line from Bristol to Whitehall, we should hang the Minister before he had time to sign the papers and we should be decently loyal to our Prussian allies and brothers. Our cabinet won't hate them, as they hate the French for being frugal and strong in logic and well-educated and remorselessly practical. Prussians are the sort of fellows you can be hoggish with when you want to. Sylvia interjected violently. For God's sake, stop it. You almost make me believe what you say is true. I tell you, Mother would go mad. Her greatest friend is the Duchess Tonnerre chateau Well, Teachin said, your greatest friends are the Med... the Med... the Austrian officers you take chocolates and flowers to. That there was all the row about. We're at war with them, and you haven't gone mad. I don't know, Sylvia said. Sometimes I think I am going mad. She drooped. Teachin's, his face very strained, was looking at the tablecloth. He muttered, Mit... 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 cos... Sylvia said, Do you know a palm called somewhere... "'It begins somewhere or other there must surely be...' "'Teachin said, "'I'm sorry, no, "'I haven't been able to get up my poetry again.' "'Sylvia said, "'Don't!' she added, "'You've got to be at the war office at 4.15, haven't you? "'What's the time now?' "'She extremely wanted to give him her bad news before he went. "'She extremely wanted to put off giving it as long as she could. "'She wanted to reflect on the matter first. She wanted also to keep up a desultory conversation, or he might leave the room. She didn't want to have to say to him, "'Wait a minute, I've got something to say to you,' for she might not, at that moment, be in the mood. He said it was not yet two. He could give her an hour and a half more. To keep the conversation going, she said, "'I suppose the one girl is making bandages or being a whack. "'Something forceful.' Teechan said, "'No, she's a pacifist, as pacifist as you.' Not so impulsive, but on the other hand she has more arguments. I should say she'll be in prison before the war's over. A nice time you must have between the two of us, Sylvia said. The memory of her interview with the great lady nicknamed Glorvina, though it was not at all a good nickname, was coming over her forcibly. She said, I suppose you're always talking it over with her. You see her every day. She imagined that that might keep him occupied for a minute or two. He said, she caught the sense of it only, and quite indifferently, that he had tea with Mrs. Wannop every day. She had moved to a place called Bedford Park, which was near his office, not three minutes walk. The war office had put a lot of huts on some public green in that neighbourhood. He only saw the daughter once a week, at most. They never talked about the war. It was too disagreeable a subject for the young woman, or rather too painful. His talk gradually drifted into unfinished sentences. They played that comedy occasionally, for it is impossible for two people to live in the same house and not have some common meeting ground. So they would each talk, sometimes talking at great length and with politeness, each thinking his or her thoughts until they drifted into silence. End of Part 2 Chapter 1 Section 2